chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, obviously, this is not my first time being here. It won't be my last. And when the day of Pentecost was full to come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. Now see what you are to observe there. That to start with, you had about 120 people who comprised that first church that Jesus built. And they didn't get the crowd till later. And here it is, verse 6. And when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded or confused because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Now notice uh, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Now, this is some of the events on the day of Pentecost after Christ had already ascended back into heaven after the death, burial, and uh, then his uh, resurrection after 72 hours. And he he had remained here for 10 days. And then there, uh, 40 more days later, which is 50, which is, that's what Pentecost means is 50 days after Passover. Now all of this happens. Well, this is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Well, you can hear a lot of people discussing, and I've heard lately, about every commentator that you read and that preachers that you hear preaching. They're going to tell you that the church was started on the day of Pentecost. And they do that without any justification at all. That is not when the church was started. Jesus started his kind of church during his public ministry. Actually, it began when he was walking along the shores of Galilee. 
And he began to call out his apostles. And then in Luke the 6th chapter, he went into a mountain and prayed all night and came down and he chose 12 men. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, he said some in the church, first apostles. And so the Lord built his kind of church. The Holy Spirit did not build the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did. Anyway, very important point, and yet I don't hear much about it at all. Not at all. Anyway, you get many people who take these things that were going on here on the day of Pentecost and said, well, not only did the church start on that day, but people began to speak with language, with tongues. Well, people have always spoken with tongues or else they couldn't speak. You cut somebody's tongue out, they can't talk. They can't, they can't talk. And that's literally what the word means. In the Greek, glosso, it means tongue. But it's used for language. And so, are we talking languages? Or are we talking... Elder Ward used to say, they get to talking all them funny languages. And nobody knows what they're saying. Especially the one saying it. But nobody knows it. Well, now this is not my message. This is just kind of preliminary to it. Now, now look at your chart or your little map you've got there. Now, if you put a map, put all these names off and name everything that's here today, you wouldn't have these names. And that's the thing, if you're studying, if you're studying a map, you've got to have maps for the time that you're studying. Because it doesn't take anything for the map to change. All it takes is one dictator to be thrown down. And then borders change. Names change. That's how you get all these names. Uh, anyway, look at these names that are mentioned here. Now, here was a problem. When Jesus ascended into heaven, Acts the first chapter, there were 11 members of that church. The reason being, Judas had already gone and hanged himself. Judas the traitor. He was not a saved man. Some tried to prove that years ago and just foolishness, just plain foolishness. Anyway, uh, only 11 members. Now, they were told by the Lord to tarry just before he ascended. They were told to tarry Wait, and it was a 10-day waiting period. They were added to until by the day of Pentecost, that 11-member church had grown 
to about 120 names. So it said about, so we can't be exact, but it was about 120 members of that church. Now when we begin reading in chapter 2, when it says they were all with one accord in one place, that's who, they're ta- who it's talking about. Those 120 church members. They're all Jews. This is all about Jews. And that was the church. It was not directed to the world. It was only on the church. And the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts 1.8. But ye, second person plural, he's talking to the eleven now. Shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This is not to say that that they were not already indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Because they were. This is another work of the Holy Spirit. And there were many works of the Holy Spirit. There still are. He said, you all shall be witnesses unto me. Both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. And unto the uttermost part of the earth. Covering all that map and then some. So this was just like the tabernacle some uh, 1,500 years before this. That they built it, couldn't use it until God put his approval on it. And how did God show his approval? The Shekinah glory. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And it came and filled the Holy of Holies and dwelt above the mercy seat. And then they could begin using the tabernacle. Well, some 500 years later, in the days of David, when he gathered the material, and then Solomon, Solomon had the temple built, the permanent, somewhat permanent dwelling place of God. And the same way, they had it built according to pattern, but they couldn't use it until God put his seal of approval on it. And then the Shekinah glory filled the Holy of Holies, and then God said, I approve. You've done it according to pattern. Now, a thousand years later, God is approving The building of the Lord's church. Not a building. Matter of fact, Peter says it's a spiritual, spirit, uh, living stones. It's a spirit, the people that are members of that church. That is the assembly, word church meaning assembly. But now when Jesus was here, he did the work. It was all done. Even to many respects was already being used. They just, they did not have the power and the approval and the accreditation to go into all the world. So, they had to wait. Just like they had to wait for the tabernacle. They had to wait for the temple. Now, for the church, which is the temple of God on earth today. And so after the proper time... And the mark of that was the 
day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, now the Holy Spirit descends on the church. Jesus Christ immerses his assembly in the Holy Spirit. Now that's not the same work of the Holy Spirit that he indwells the believer, and it's not even the same work of the filling of the Spirit. Those are all different works. Just as when the Holy Spirit comes into a believer, makes him a believer, does a work of grace in him, he never leaves. And when the Holy Spirit did this work on the church, the kind of church that Jesus built, he's still here. And it will never, ever be repeated. Those things need to be emphasized frequently. All right, so we got a problem. Now that all this that's going on, uh, well, what? Well, you got a sudden a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Well, what, what would a tornado sound like? You ever hear one? I have. I've heard a typhoon at sea. Been in it. I haven't been in a hurricane. Don't want to be. But a rushing mighty wind, it's a loud noise. And it came from heaven. Okay? So you got a big noise there. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And then there appeared unto them cloven tongues. Cloven means split. Like as a fire. It pays to read everything. It didn't say fire. It said like as a fire. No, if it had been an actual fire sitting up there on my shoulder, it had been burning. I'm glad, I wouldn't want real fire sitting there. It's like as a fire. Now, at just a, a visible representation of the presence of the Holy Spirit. All right, now, they began to speak. Now, not, it's not everybody was there. That's with the church members, the apostles and the church members. They began to speak with other languages. If you get rid of the word tongue and put its definition, language, a lot of the mystery leaves. They began to speak other languages. Well, that may not be much to anybody that's never dealt with languages. But if you've dealt with languages, you know that's a great big barrier. Y'all go to Mexico. Do you run into any problems sometimes? Talking to people? I mean, you don't, you're not fluent in Spanish, are you? Okay. Mexican? Okay. I didn't think so. Well, sometimes you have to. I mean, it just is rough. Well, what's, what's scary is getting in a country like Bulgaria. And then nobody speaks English. We have a rough time. Romania. You can get in places there that nobody speaks English. And I guarantee you, you don't speak Romanian. And I guarantee you don't speak Hungarian. You can get in some problems there. I've been, we've been in them. We really have been. 
Uh, languages are a huge barrier. See, that's what God did at the Tower of Babel. A hundred and something years after the flood of Noah's day was over. God confused their languages. We didn't have a confusion of languages before that. Matter of fact, the Bible says the whole earth was of one speech and one language. Say, well, all these language people know, know a lot better than that now. You know what they've come back to? Philologists, they study languages. You know what they've come back to? There was only one, like, one original language. All that time, all oh, that came from many different sources and all that. Or man invented. Man didn't even invent language. What are you talking about? Man didn't invent any language. Just like man didn't invent fire. They knew what fire was when God drove them out of the Garden of Eden. And they knew how to talk. And you know what I think? I think they knew how to write. God taught them. I don't think man figured out how to write. You might figure up some new language, some new way to write, shorthand or something. I don't think man discovered all those languages. I don't think man discovered much of anything. Anyway, they talk about all the prehistoric people. There weren't any prehistoric people. There aren't any prehistoric animals. There weren't any prehistoric times. It all begins in Genesis 1. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, but our problem on the day of Pentecost, you see, that was a Jewish feast, one of the Jewish feasts. So Jews from all around came into Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. Even the one in, uh, in this day had been, had been remodeled somewhat, Herod's temple. But they all came in for that feast of Pentecost. But these folks have got a message. They're Baptist church people. And they've got a message. They've got to preach the gospel to every creature. And how in the world are you going to do it? There weren't any language schools. That always tickles me. You get over there. Some foreign language, some foreign land. Uh, all of these holy roly tongue speakers. That's where you can meet them at in language school. <laughs> Looks like if they can speak speak tongues, they just go ahead and speak that language. They can't do it. They lie. They just lie. Anyway, you got all these different languages. Now let's look here. You got the Galileans. That's the ones that are here, the church members. They speak a Palestinian Aramaic language. That is similar to Hebrew. Look at Mark 14 real quick. Mark 14 and verse 70. And this is when Peter's outside warmed himself at the fires of the heathen. 
And Jesus is, is in the process of being crucified. Verse 69, a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. And Peter, he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. So they could, they could tell by his speech and his accent that he was a Galilean. So they had, they had their own language. Well, next we've got the Parthians. They spoke a northwestern Iranian. And the Medes, they spoke a northeastern Iranian. And the Elamites were like they were. Dwellers in Mesopotamia, they spoke that old Akkadian. Now, if you ever read anything about back at the, at the time of Nimrod and the Tower of Babel, and those, well, it'd be the same like Conan the Barbarian, the times he was supposed to be from. Akkadian is the language they were speaking. And then you had dwellers in Judea. They were speaking a cross between Hebrew and Aramaic. Now, Aramaic is not Arabic. All right. Uh, Cappadocia, they were speaking a mixed Greek. Pontus, speaking Greek and Persian. Asia was speaking Latin because Rome, Roman Empire was it. Phrygia, there was a Phrygian language. At one time, Phrygia was a pretty big country in Asia Minor. Pamphylia, mainly Greek. Egypt, Coptic language. There are Coptic Christians today, so that's another language. In Libya, which is in Africa, but they spoke Berber, Cetan, and Greek. In the Cyrene, they spoke the same. Rome, the Jews, and proselytes. Proselytes are people that, that have been pulled from one religion to another. Latin in Rome, of course. And then in Crete, the, there was a Cretan form of Greek. And then uh, the Arabians, they spoke Arabic. And it's just like, uh, well, in Mexico they speak Spanish, but it's Mexican Spanish. In the Philippines they speak Spanish, but it's a different, you've got different emphasis, different, different vocabularies, yeah. And so that's, that's true of all languages, all right? Now you look at your map, find Jerusalem right there to center uh, lower right. You see all these Elam, Media, Parthia, Mesopotamia, Pamphylia, Cappadocia, Pontus, Phrygia, Asia, Rome, Crete, Cyrene, Egypt, uh, Judea, Arabia, and Jerusalem, of course. And that's where all of these people are from. So there was, there was a, a lot of different languages there. You talk about a nightmare trying to communicate. So what the Lord did, he overpowered all that, and he worked a miracle in the tongue of the speaker, not in the ears, but in the tongue. And they said, therefore, they were hearing in their language, uh, every language, our own tongue, 
wherein we were born. Now let me tell you something else. It appears to me they were hearing it with no accent. It's almost impossible for an adult person who only speaks English, I don't care how many language schools you go to, how long you spend in another country, it is almost impossible for an adult to learn another language and never have an accent. It's almost impossible. I'm not going to say impossible, but it's almost impossible. If it's ever happened, there are few and far between. Now, when children are raised up speaking two different languages, they can do it without accent, but they're raised up in it, and there's a big, just a big difference in it. Anyway, now, what I wanted to look at, go on, in our reading, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, uh, oh, that makes twelve, doesn't it? It appears to me that at, when the church, the, uh, the organized church of the Lord Jesus Christ, when they voted Matthias in as the apostle to replace Judas, looks to me like they re- recognize and the Lord recognize the apostleship of Matthias. Because right there, very authoritative, Peter stood up with the eleven. Anyway, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye uh, that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my word. Listen to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. That's what they've been accused of. Now, if you didn't speak the language of the one that is speaking, you didn't understand it any better than anybody else did. So, but that's what they accused him of. But he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Well, Joel 2.28. There's that prophecy. And it's, here it is. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters, shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. 
For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou shalt make uh, me full of joy with thy countenance. I'm not going to read the rest of it, I, I like, but anyway. Uh, the message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, you seldom ever hear that. You'll hear almost always, when you hear a Camelite preacher preach, he will bring up Acts 2.38 in his message. Although he doesn't have any idea what it means, but he'll bring that up. That's where they, they're, they're built them. And you'll have the, the charismatics, the holy rollers, the tongue speakers. They will get into Acts, the second chapter, and they will extract that from the context, not letting anybody know what it was. This was not a bunch of gobbledygook. And when Peter preached, he was standing up preaching about the Holy Spirit. Who was he preaching about? Jesus Christ. Amen. Speaking tongues, for one thing, when it did exist, and it does not long, any longer exist, but it was for the purpose, number one, to approve the presence of God. Prove that he's there. You had visible, audible, and then you had these miracles. That proved that God was there. And this was the work of the, whole, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Empowering and approving his church. And enabling them. Because at this time. This is approximately... 33 and a half pushing 34 A.D. Not trying to figure the messed up calendar we've got. Figuring our calendar is about 33 and a half to 34 A.D. Well, the first book of the New Testament was not written until 45 A.D. So guess what they didn't have? They didn't have the New Testament and very little of the Old Testament. And the reason why the Old Testament were written on scrolls. If you had the Old Testament on handwritten scrolls as they had, it would take a good sized pickup truck to carry it. Besides having the money to have it. So there was very little of the written word available for average people. So they didn't have the word of God. Now the holders don't, they don't think much of that. They don't think that's an issue. Because they don't really use the word of God anyway. They just, they just hit and miss at it. They're not really students of the word. Uh, at least the ones I've dealt with are not. Anyway, so there was a great need for those who knew anything from the Lord to transmit it and this tongues, the gift of tongues to be able to speak 
another complete language without ever having to study it. Has anybody ever studied, have you ever taken Latin or French in school? Do you remember? Do you remember conjugating and declining and doing all that stuff? I mean, amo, amas, amatis, amamus, amatis. Uh, man. And then try to remember all that. Then remembering the Greek alphabet. Can you call it up now? The whole alphabet? Hebrew alphabet. I mean, you know, just languages are tough. Well, for the mo- most people. Anyway, so. They've got a thing to do. They've got a message to get out. So chapter 2, verses 14 through 20, Peter gives an explanation of what's going on. Because nobody knew. But he gives an explanation. And it, it actually brings forth a full sweep of prophecy. All of this that he talks about here Wonders in the heaven above and so on. The sun turned to darkness until the day of the Lord come. He's not only talking about the first coming of Christ. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. So it's a full sweep of prophecy. And then in verse 22, he says, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man... Approved of God among you. How? By miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Now he's talking about the person of Christ and the works that Christ did. Why did Christ do the miracles that he did? In order to show that he is who God says he is. Jesus Christ did not come to heal all the sick. Unlike what Benny Hinn and all his ilk, what they'll try to tell you, health, wealth, gospel, it's not God's will for everybody to be healed. Just put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's not God's will for everybody to be healed. Notice Apostle Paul, he left some of his part is sick. How come he didn't heal him? He had power to heal some. How come Paul didn't get himself healed? Whatever his infirmity was, he prayed three times for God to remove it. And God said, my, my grace is sufficient for thee. And he never mentioned it again. There's lots of reasons people get sick. Number one, it's just in our depraved bodies. It's going to happen. Some get sicker than others and get sicker longer than others. But it, you're going to get sick sometime. Something's going to happen. And you're not going to get us all well. Supposing God were, you say, well, God healed me of this. Yeah. You've been, been sick again since then? Yeah. <laughs> so if God does a work of grace, if he does heal you, and he can. He's not limited today. He can if it's his will. But we've got doctors. We've got medicines and nurses and all that. We've got all kinds of stuff to help us. But you know what? When they get you all good and well, 
then you're gonna go, then you're gonna die. <laughs> That's just the way it is. It's important unto man wants to die. Uh, well, well, you got me well. Gonna discharge me from the hospital. I'm all well now. I won't ever see you again. <laughs> pipe dream, pipe dream. It ain't gonna happen. It's just not gonna happen. The point is that Peter is not preaching miracles. Peter is not preaching the Holy Spirit. Peter is not preaching tongues. That's not what he's preaching. He's preaching Christ and his works. And look at verse 23. Him, that's Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It sounded to me like Peter believed in the sovereign grace of God. The determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Now that foreknowledge, that's just not God knowing about something. That's God knowing it with intimate intimate activity there. Him, Jesus was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was all God's plan all along. You trace it from Garden of Eden. Look what happened after Cain killed Abel. That was Satan trying to stop God's plan. God raised up another one, Seth. And all along, you see, the plan was to stop all of this. Well, you couldn't stop it. You can't stop the will of God. So him being delivered by the determinate counsel, Jesus came to this earth to do what he did, and it couldn't be stopped. Why? Because God purposed it before the world ever was. And so his life was, he fulfilled God's purpose in his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And of course, God was well pleased. There on the Mount of Transfiguration, he said, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. Hearken unto him, hear ye him. And so Jesus' life fulfilled God's will. His resurrection, look at verse 24. Whom God hath raised, well, no, I, I, I missed part of it. Let's get back over here. Ye Y'all have taken. Now, who's Peter preaching to now? That whole multitude. And they're all Jews. Gather here for that Jewish feast. Say, so weren't they all saved because they were Jews? Oh, no. No one's ever been saved because it was a Jew. No one. Anybody that's ever been saved from Adam on, they were only saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, by his blood. They were believed that he was to come, the Messiah to come. We say the Messiah's already come. We look back to him. 
But there's only been one way of salvation always. And so, but he says now, certainly it's God's sovereign purpose that Jesus Christ was delivered. He said, well, then nothing matters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. He says, you all have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. That's not double talk, folks. Not at all. God is absolutely sovereign. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. But man is totally responsible to God for all of his actions. There you have it right there in that verse. There's God's sovereignty, God's absolute will. And at the same time, those who effected that are responsible for what they've done. He said, you've taken with your wicked hands, you've crucified and slain this one that came by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Just as responsible. You say, well, it doesn't matter what people do. Oh, yeah, it does. Yes, it does. I can say everybody in the world ought to repent and believe the gospel. They ought to. And they're responsible to. Are they all going to? No. And when they don't, they die and go to hell, they're there by their own responsibility. That's the way the Bible teaches. That's the way it is. And then he says in verse 24, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. They did their best. They crucified him. They didn't kill him. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. They didn't kill him. But God's purpose was for his only begotten son, and in essence himself, was to be made sin for us, and he knew no sin. And he suffered and paid for all of the sins of all of his people. Now, he did not die for everybody in the world. As Armenians say, he did not die for everybody. If he died for everybody, then everybody will go to heaven. Because you see, the only reason anybody is going to heaven, it's all wrapped up in the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason. I debated a fellow, wrote a book, made him on national radio, and I asked him one question. He said, said that 
it's all up to man. I said, what is it that actually saves a sinner from his sins? He never would answer me. And I never got off of that. I never got off of anything else. The whole half hour, when my turn to talk, I said, you haven't answered my question yet. Now I'm going to ask you again. What is it that saves a sinner from their sins? And you ought to be able to tell me that. You ought to be able to tell all these listeners and the readers of your book what is it is that actually saves a sinner from their sins. It is the actual life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's it. And if that's what is actually saves you, why am I saved and others aren't? Because what I've done has nothing to do with it. It's all about what he has done. He never did answer the question. Anyway, verse 25, For David speaking, or speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. Now, David, you're talking about a thousand years before this. Back in the Psalms and Samuel. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Uh, I'd say that the Apostle Peter believed the Old Testament. I don't believe he thought that David was some fictional character. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Hell is a grave. Neither wilt thou suffer or allow thine Holy One to see corruption. Whatever happened to Jesus' body in the tomb, he was there for 72 hours, it did not see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch. Now, patriarch just means chief father. Well, he's father of the Jewish nation, David, King David. And that he is both dead and buried. And his sepulcher, that's the grave, is with us unto this day. Now, that's David's grave is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. That's the throne of David. David had some idea what was going to happen. And all of this is according to prophecy. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. Don't tell me that it was a secret to all those brethren. That his soul was not left in hell or the grave, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. And you see, that's, that's what the purpose of their apostleship was, to be witnesses of his resurrection. And that's what he's preaching to these folks on this day. Now, back there in verse uh, 23 you with wicked, you have taken by wicked hands, have crucified and slain him. The responsibility of men 
Now, I don't think they liked what they were hearing. Is Peter not pointing the finger at them? You, you all with wicked hands took him and crucified him and slain, slew him. He wasn't saying, I want to share the love of God with you. He wasn't saying anything like that. He was laying the axe to the root of the trees. Which is what Jesus did. And that's exactly what he's doing. What is he doing? He is authoritatively making a declaration of the truth. In essence, Peter is preaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost. He's not preaching the Holy Spirit. He's not preaching miracles. He's not bragging about talking in tongues. He's using the gift of tongues to preach the gospel to people whom he ordinarily couldn't say a word to. And he was preaching the sovereignty of God. By his determinate counsel and foreknowledge. Delivered by his determinate counsel and foreknowledge. And then uh, people say, well, we've got to give an invitation. Peter didn't give an invitation. There's no sign of an invitation. Let me read on this here. He said, now, uh, look at verse 32. Jesus hath, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all are witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. That's, what, that's what's going on right now. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. He's talking about Christ. Until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you all have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Old uh, Rolf Barner, he said, these preachers say, make Jesus your Lord. He said, you're too late. God's done beat you to it. God's done made him both Lord and Christ. Now, Peter quits preaching at the end of verse 36. Luke's writing, and he says, verse 37, Now, when they heard this, that's that multitude, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, here's how that so-called invitation went. Peter preached unashamedly. 
and unreservedly. He preached the sovereignty of God. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He preached the responsibility and the condemnation of man. He preached all of that. He didn't beg them to hear it. He declared it to them. And then he quit preaching. He didn't get 30 out of that 120 to begin singing just as I am. And he didn't begin begging people to come down the aisles. Didn't do any such thing. He preached the message and quit. I'd like for somebody to challenge me on this. They won't do it. Oh, they might go behind my back and say something, but they won't do it to my face. Because they know they can't challenge that. There was not a so-called Charles Finney invitation given here. But something did happen. Look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So now, there wasn't any appeal except the axe was laid to the root of the trees. Now they, in response to the work of the Holy Spirit within them, that's what means pricked in their hearts. You remember Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus? It is, didn't Jesus say it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks? The same thing here. Then Peter said unto them, Peter is responding to them. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Is that something that we always say? That's not, that's not what we generally say. But let me tell you what he's talking about. Baptism is no part of his salvation. But baptism does make you a member of the Lord's church and puts you in line for the Holy Spirit's presence and his gifts. Now you don't hear that very often. Very, very many places. But that's what that is. Uh, go back to Acts 19. You'll see that. Anyway. He says for the promise. Now they said what shall we do? First thing you got to do repent. Then submit yourself to scriptural baptism. Of the church. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So like we. For the promise is unto you. And to your children. And to all that are far off. Now that's us. He's talking to Jews here. But those that are far off are Gentiles. That's us. Even. See the Camelots never get down here. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Paul said for I reckon that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them 
who are the called according to his purpose. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation by getting yourself lined up where you need to be. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And at the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Those were lives. And they continued steadfastness in the apostles. Doctrine, not the apostles' creed. Baptists don't use the apostles' creed. It's got heresy in it. This is apostles' doctrine. This is what the Lord taught to the apostles and what they in turn teach to us. And fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. People claim that they're Pentecostal. That's Pentecostal. And it has nothing to do with what most of them do. 